I want to ask you a question that is going to be really hard to actually answer, but but here it is. Strap in. What is a good brand? What's a good brand? Think about it. What makes a brand good or bad? What defines a brand being good or bad at what they do? Well, if a brand's been around for 128 years, chances are that brand is really, really really good. And that's exactly what Coca-Cola is. Coca-Cola, by definition, is a fantastic brand. If you think about it, they are timeless. They're everywhere. They're in your backyard. They're in your fridge, but they're also on the billboards and they sponsor these huge events. They're everywhere. And they're an iconic part of our society. That's by definition, is a fantastic brand. And our guest on today's podcast is someone who is in charge of that entire thing. Javier Mesa is the chief global marketing officer of the sparkling division at Coca-Cola, and he leads teams to define what this brand is. He is the Coca-Cola brand. So, if you are looking to see how big brands operate and what they do and, and different advice that someone who leads these brands, take time to really grasp what this conversation between our founder Jake and Javier holds because there is so much value, so much stuff packed into this episode that you're going to catch little tidbits of information that is going to change your life. So thank you guys for listening to this fantastic conversation and be sure to tell us exactly what you pulled from it because there are going to be 10, 15 things that you're going to want to write down to save for later. So thank you guys for listening. Enjoy this fantastic conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters CMO podcast series. I'm personally wildly thrilled about today's episode because this is going to be an iconic brand that, that you guys are all going to be very well aware of um, and likely a big consumer of as well. So you're going to be able to provide kind of your, your marketing lens as you listen to this, uh, but then also uh, see kind of the consumer side as well. So Without further ado, today I'm joined by Javier Mesa, the global CMO of the Sparkling Division at the Coca-Cola Company, um, and also widely passionate about all things marketing, branding. So this should make for an incredible episode. Javier, it's a, truly a pleasure to have you on today. Morning, Jake, and thank you for the opportunity. It's really a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here and to be able to speak to your audience. So yeah, let's go. Of course, yeah, we'll jump right into it. Wasting, wasting no time. Uh, so kind of my first question for you is around the Coca-Cola brand. You have a variety of products. You have incredible brands underneath all of those. And your role as global CMO is obviously piecing all those together uh, at a global scale. Not the easiest thing to do, right? Uh, but, you know, the Coke brand is well known by, I, I would have to guess, like a far majority of all consumers. But let's take a step back for a second. Pretend I'm an alien. Pretend I just came to planet earth and i'm just now discovering the coca-cola brand how would you define that coca-cola brand what does that mean to you and what does that mean for today's consumers that's a good question jake and you know 
I always like to say that the Coca-Cola brand is, is, is really a simple brand, which doesn't mean it's easy to manage the brand. But it's a simple brand. You know, the way we define the brand, the way we design the brand is quite simple and it's, it's around a, a little dose of um, gratification and, and um, energy kick. That's what the product does for you. Mm-hmm. And we like to believe that when people get that gratification, that indulgence and that energy kick, it puts you in a better mood. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a more positive mood. And we do believe that when human beings are in a more positive mood, great things happen because people mm-hmm. are willing to come together. People are willing to leave, to leave the differences apart, are willing to collaborate more, to be more tolerant and to build a better future together. So it's a simple brand anchored on a very specific uh, functional benefit, which is around gratification, pleasure, energy kick that has this optimism changing your mood and therefore inviting people to see the, the world with, um, with more positive eyes. Yeah, certainly. We can all use some more positivity right now uh, in the market. And I love that, that kind of definition of the brand. It takes on such a larger meaning, but it's also one that you guys continue to carry through your messaging and marketing. Now, in terms of the industry, beverage always changing, always evolving. And within recent years, a lot of the changes, whether it's health orientation, even kombucha, the coffee craze, but one that always sticks out to me in particular uh, is the caffeine craze. And, uh, and obviously, you know, where that's derived from, there's a lot of question marks around that. I know for my generation, that's the generation that's going to have like nine coffees before 2 p.m., not eat anything at all, uh, and, and pretty much just live off of caffeine. Uh, as as most of us do in the in the business community, but what has Coca Cola's? How have you kind of adapted to some of those evolutions and consumer trends? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What that's kind of looked like? Great. And and if you allow me, before going to answer that question, which I will, let me finish with some ideas around Coke brand because I think this this might be interesting for people uh, listening to us. Um, of course, we have the secret formula. We know that, and it's true. It's there in the in the world of Coca Cola. is 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 uh, very very much taken care of, and it's an important part of what the brand is because the the Coca Cola taste and the Coca Cola kick that I mentioned before, it has to do with the secret formula. But I would say that there is another part of the secret of the Coca Cola brand, and this is this ability the brand has to be timeless and timely. This is super powerful. You know, Coca-Cola brand can be timeless and can be timely. And I'm going to explain better that. The second thing is, the second dimension is the Coca-Cola brand can be global and local at the same time. And the third dimension is the Coca-Cola brand can be huge and small at the same time. So think about it, you know, global and local. If you go to some markets in Latin America, where I come from, if you ask people in Argentina, you know, tell me a local brand, they would say Coca-Cola. They feel it like that. They, and they know it's an American brand. They know that it's present everywhere. But they feel like a local brand that was always there, that has done a lot of r- locally relevant activations and promotions and communications. They feel the brand as being local and global. And that's a, that's a, a very powerful position to be in. The second part, yes, of course, the huge brand that can do bigger than life events, promotions, activations. But at the same time, it's the brand that is around the corner in any kiosk. You can reach to it. You can touch the brand. It's there for you. So this ability of being huge and small is super powerful. And the third one, as I said before, is timeless and timely. And that's that's simply because 
the brand values, optimism, inclusiveness, uh, and uh, solidarity, uh, those values are timeless. That's part of human beings. Now, what we do and we, we invest a lot of resources is to present those values in a timely fashion, in a timely way. You know, we, we launched last week a new campaign that is related to, to Coca-Cola and fooding and meals. And when you see the values that we are talking about are the same that we have been talking for 137 years. But the, but the way we present that is more contemporary. And of course, it has some acknowledgement of the COVID crisis and what we're going through right now. So that's, you know, that's, that's the magic of Coca-Cola. I would say that's, that's the real secret formula, this, this ability to, to play on that. On, on your, your question about the portfolio and caffeine, we have a very structured way of um, understanding and anticipating consumer needs and expectations. And this is very important. Now, the way, the way I think the job of marketing, we need to have a good understanding of both what consumers need and we need to remember that sometimes consumers cannot express what they need. So you need to find ways to, to discover that, but also expectations. And let me give you specific examples. Um, one of the, of the needs that keeps growing when it comes to food and beverages is this energizing benefit, right? More and more people in younger generations generations, they are looking for the energizing benefit, both in food and beverages. But of course, they also want to receive that benefit in a certain fashion. So more and more people want to have that benefit in a natural fashion. They say, yeah, yeah, I want energizing benefit, but I want from natural sources. Some people might say, yeah, no, I want the energizing benefit, but I don't want it with sugar. Some people say, I want the energizing benefit. By the way, I want it delivered to my house because I don't have time to go and buy in the supermarket. So articulating both, both dimensions of needs and, and uh, expectations, demands, is what makes your portfolio and your value proposition strong. To your point about uh, energy, it's one of the fastest growing motivations for consumption. And, and it's consistently, uh, it's globally, it's not just in the US. We see that energizing need to grow. And, and that's why if you think the last 10 years, the energy drinks category is the one that has been growing faster. And it, it created, you have several super good and well-positioned brands. We have partnership with one of those brands. So we have a, a partnership with Monster Brand, um, a long-term partnership. But there's opportunity for more. And what we have been doing is investing to expand our portfolio of offerings within the energizing solution. Um, we have a, a brand in Asia that's called Georgia Coffee that is a ready-to-drink coffee brand. We acquired back uh, in 2018 uh, Costa Coffee, which is a leader brand in the UK and with a strong presence in, in Europe. And we, our plan is to continue expanding the brand. And we have also done some um, initial uh, inroads with Coca-Cola brand with Coca-Cola Energy that we launched in the US just before the crisis and in Europe and in Asia. So we have plans to continue with that line extension. And in some other markets, we have already launched a Coca-Cola with coffee product yeah. that also tackles on this energized opportunity, although also with some more indulgence and, and great taste uh, benefit. So, um, you know, the reality is we remain open to move with the consumers, uh, hopefully to move before the consumers move so we can somehow be prepared and be the fast movers or the first movers. 
uh, and using our existing brands, but also expanding into new brands and bringing new brands into the portfolio. Yeah, certainly. I think that's incredible insight. And I love your approach to it. It's not just a matter of consumers want caffeine. Where do they want it? How do they want it? What are, the, what are those elements? What are those factors? How do we aggregate that data across quantitative analysis? And then also, how do we give them what they actually want versus what they say they want, which is oftentimes two very different things, particularly in the marketing realm. With Kind of with that in mind, it, I'd love to ask you what's your favorite, if there's like, I know every campaign is kind of like a child, right? They're all your favorites. But if there's a campaign that stands out and all even as you kind of think about that one, I'll even kind of share my thoughts in terms of like a favorite campaign of Coca-Cola's. I loved the, and I don't know how this was defined, really just going from the dome here, uh, the the introduction of the bottles again, the, the bottle Coca-Cola. I know nostalgia is just so huge. And what I always found interesting was like my friends when I was 16, 17, 18, they, were, they would like love the, the glass bottle. They weren't alive when that was like the norm. Yet, you know, we all want to indulge in things of the past because our parents loved it, our grandparents loved it, so on. And to you, is there a favorite campaign of yours that, uh, that, that maybe you've led or that has stemmed from the Coca-Cola brand? And, and yes, I, I, do, I do have a couple, but let me, let me connect with your comment about um, wh- what you said about the contour button. I, I have an internal joke I do always when I discuss with, with my bosses and people in the field, which is, you know this concept of the, the Instagram picture in real life? You know, the, have you seen those memes that people say, okay, this is how oh, you yeah. look in Instagram and this is real life? Yeah. And, then, and then one day I was discussing with uh, one of the teams in Latin America and they had launched a generic bottle for Coca-Cola. Not, not the contour bottle that we know. They launched a generic bottle, you know, like a common bottle. So what I did is I went in and, and looked for the, the Instagram of this local market and they had so beautiful pictures of the contour bottle. So I took and I, in, in a presentation I had to do and discuss with them about uh, strategy. I said, yes, this is the Instagram version and this is the real life. So I put yeah. and I said, it's interesting that we do understand the value of the contour bottle for the brand um, distinctiveness, right? Mm-hmm. It, we, we so much understand that we use that in Instagram and we keep posting contour bottles in Instagram. But then when we need to put that in front of the consumer, we don't. And, and for, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes just for financial reasons, sometimes it's for short-term reasons. But it's true, the, the, the reintroduction of the contour bottle was an important, it's always an important part of our marketing efforts. Listen, I, I'm not American, uh, but, but I remember this American is Beauty ad a couple of years back that was run in the Super Bowl or around the Super Bowl using a, a very well-known music that is, is iconic for Americans. Uh, but showing diversity and inclusiveness. And I remember, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this with a lot of respect because I'm not American, so it's, it's difficult for me to really understand everything, every motivation behind. But I remember there were some voices against and saying, how, how you dare to use an iconic music and change the language and put people singing in other languages? And there are always other voices saying, yeah, that's reality. That's what's that. That's what why America is so great is because America is about diversity and inclusiveness. So that mm-hmm. that's one that I was not involved in the production of that one, but when I saw that, I was really really touched by that one. Uh, let me tell you one that I like a lot. I did maybe ten years back. I was um, a brand manager in Argentina, 
And in Argentina, I said Coca-Cola is a very strong brand. And we did a campaign that it was called The Last Coca-Cola on Earth. And it was super playful. And it was all about this idea of, if imagine that out of the sudden, Coke is gone and there is only one bottle left on Earth. And so imagine people chasing and, and trying to get that bottle because they want to have the last sip of Coke. That was very, very playful. But maybe my, my favorite, the one I, I actually did, uh, Jake, I was... Um, running the marketing organization for Brazil back in 2014 when the World Cup happened in Brazil. So think for a second. Brazil, football, Coca-Cola. Those three things together. And and as you know, in in Brazil, football, soccer, it's really a religion. It's really super relevant for Brazil. Organizing the World Cup was a huge thing. And Coca-Cola is the global sponsor of the World Cup and a very strong brand in Brazil. So when we had to, to organize the, the work plan for Coke, we had a lot of scenarios, also because of the economic crisis. So we had we have done a very thorough planning session and, and, and work. And, okay, if, if Brazil gets eliminated in the first round, if Brazil goes to the second round, if Brazil ends winning the championship. So we had a plan for everything except, yeah. except for one thing, which was Germany defeating Brazil 7-1 to in the semifinal. And, and to be honest, we were not fully prepared for that scenario. It was, it was not in, in our minds that Brazil would be defeated 7-1 to one in the semifinal. And, and for Brazilians, it was, it was a shock. It was a truly shock. And that was one week before the final. So we had, we had some planning that if Brazil wins the, the, the World Cup, the Football World Cup, we had identified this kit that was going to be born on that Sunday Right? It was planned, we call it in Spanish cesarea. I'm not sure about the word in English. But it was a, a planned birth on Sunday. His, his name is Gabriel. And mm-hmm. we have a written agreement with the parents that we go and do an ad the day of, of his born with a message saying, Gabriel was born today. And yes, in Brazil, there's a lot of things that are not there because it's an, it's an emerging market, it's a develop, developing market. But there's one thing that Gabriel can't claim. He was born a champion already. It was like, wow. But then seven, what happens? And then out of the sun, and we said, okay, what do we do? And we had this real-time um, marketing in place. So we were able to really, I'm talking six years back. Today is the norm, but six years back, it was a, a big thing having this social listening and understanding sentiment and what's happening, what people are talking. We made a decision to go, away, to go ahead with one ad that was, we had identified a person that was 84 years old he had been in the stadium in 1950 when Brazil lost the first global, the first World Cup against Uruguay. It was a disaster as well. And we did an ad with this guy saying, hey, I know the feeling. This is super painful. I was in 1950. We lost. I'm here today. We lost. But I can tell you something. After the first time we lost, I, I, I found other, other great things in life. I met my wife. I had kids. I made good friends. And by the way, I was able to see Brazil five-time World Cup champion after that. So this mm-hmm. again, this notion about hope and optimism and looking into the future. That was my, my, my best ever campaign just because of the, of the cultural relevance it had with Brazilians. Yeah, I think that's an incredible example of, uh, of a campaign. I, I even love, I've never really thought about that from a marketing perspective, like how you have to prep for 
all those different unique scenarios. And then it's like, okay, now they lose, but they didn't just lose with like a seven to one absolute like domination. And now what are we doing? How we respond to that? So I love your approach to that. And obviously uh, the agility that that's practiced in that, you know, unique scenario. Now, some, something else I, I really wanted to ask you about was the fact that you have been with Coca-Cola Company for 22 years, kind of starting as within brand and marketing management, uh, and you've been in, in plenty of different unique markets, um, and now you've worked your way up to that global CMO position. For my generation and for the, the, the one above me, even that millennial generation, there's a lot of job hopping, There's and, and people kind of get bored with with what's going on and they don't want to like write it out um and that's something that can i mean it makes sense in certain scenarios but it's also something that can really harm your career your learning your education your insights your relationships your knowledge of the brand so i'd love to hear for you kind of why you've stayed with the brand for so long and why it might be beneficial um for others to kind of do the same no, oh, that's a good that's a good question, Jake. And and to be honest, when I joined the, the company back in 1998, my plan was to stay no more than 10 years. You know, I I had started to say that I'm gonna be here 10 years and no matter what, I'm gonna move on and do other things. Because there are other things I, I'm still gonna gonna do. I, I have some dreams there in my in my drawing board. So I, after Coke, I wanna be a teacher and at the university for example that's something i really enjoy doing i i, I engage a lot in conversations with the students and and organizations that um, allow me to share my ideas and my experience uh, i want to have a bookstore that's one of the dreams i have <laughs> a paper book paper book you know i'm gonna i'm gonna probably it's gonna be a small business but something i have pleasure i i, I like reading and I, I like recommending books and i like doing that uh, I might also do a small uh, boutique hotel. So I, I have a couple of dreams. I have other things I'm going to do in my life. But what happened, to be honest, is um, I joined Coke and I never spent more than three years in the same country. So I started moving from one country to another uh, over the last 22 years. So um, before coming here to the U.S. one and a half year ago, I was in Singapore and I was leading marketing for the Asia Pacific region. And that was an amazing experience. So having to work with India, Japan, China, Australia, and Southeast Asia. Um, for a marketing person, if you are curious, working for Coke was my window to the world. And this ability to move from one country to another every, every two, three years gave me a lot of things to, you know, it, it was difficult to get bored because, yes, maybe the brands are the same. But consumers are not the same and the insights are not the same. And sometimes competitors are not the same. And sometimes customers are not the same. And technology is not the same, right? Go going to Asia four years back, for me, was eye-opening to see the digital revolution already happening in China. And, and I can tell you, yeah, of course, I do appreciate that there's a lot of digital transformation happening in the U.S. But I would say China is a case that we need to, to go and learn from. Uh, seeing how Japan and, and, and our business in Japan is, is very diversified. So we have a portfolio. It's one of the largest portfolio of beverages and brands. Um, seeing the challenges we have to build horizontal distribution in India. Uh, so seeing Australia, which basically uh, operates like a very mature market. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim and I wouldn't even advise anyone 
starting the career that hey you need to you need to stick to one company for 22 years honestly i would i, I would say yes after a period of time do do meaningful changes um my recommendation only would be the be very thoughtful of the experience you will gain in those changes right the way i manage my career jake is with these these four components that i try to balance one is be very clear about my my talent and skills the thing i know i can do very well independent of the job i'm doing so you know those are the things like yeah i'm a learner you know i i'm an achiever i like to finish things i have this ability to think strategically and see patterns those are you know your 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 abilities your your innate abilities super important that you understand them the second the second critical pillar is knowledge in any profession you need to keep updating your knowledge it's true for for any profession for lawyers it's true for marketing people it's true for doctors because the knowledge keeps evolving so the way we used to do marketing 20 years back and today is completely different so i i invest a, lo- a good amount of my energy in getting my knowledge updated the third component is experience it's as important as knowledge and i really make career decisions even within coca-cola when i decide with opportunity to to accept or to pursue is based on the experience i will gain and the last one is attitude of course which is is anytime i took a job i was do i self do do i see myself doing this job happily for the next 2 3 years if the answer was no then it's, it's better to say i'm not taking this opportunity because those those um mistakes of not being motivated that's that's a big one right so talent knowledge experience attitude manage your career in a way that allows you to build more um experience and make sure that the attitude is going to be there that you're going to be willing to do that with passion every day yeah that sounds like an incredible criteria to kind of approach uh, existing job opportunities or or offers or progression within your current role now a question we have from linkedin jacob harman uh and and you mentioned one day owning that paper bookstore so you might have thought about this one as well is what big brand marketing tactics can smaller businesses with a smaller budget adopt do you have any you know certainly uh some your favorite bookstore might not be able to do some advertising at the world cup uh but there, there's probably some interesting insights and ideas you have around that yeah i mean it's going to be pretty obvious my answer which is try to be consumer centric and and sometimes when you are a smaller brand you don't need to spend a lot of money in doing ad hoc research is all you need to be is curious go and you know walk the streets talk to people talk to potential customers talk to talk to potential retailers uh let me give you one example the covid right um yeah. while we have been going through over the last six months already um there's so much information out there for free to understand what's happening right yesterday literally i was reading a paper on the impact on of covid on gen z yeah uh, put together by mckinsey so, wow is so much knowledge so i would say answer number one is going to be be curious and that means be willing to go and talk to people and 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 understand them but also be willing to talk to experts and understand them that's something that if you are a small brand or a huge brand is something that you absolutely need to do um the second thing i would say is uh if i was a small brand i would try to build some strongholds before expanding too fast so you know if if i have a small budget maybe i would prefer to focus in one region of the us making sure i build 
relevance there. I build the cash flow I need uh, because one of the big mistakes sometimes we do with small brands is trying to grow too fast without mm -hmm. having the cash flow to, to sustain that, right? So it's something that you need to be careful uh, is build some strongholds that allow you to have some cash flow and then you can from there continue building in the long term. Um, and the, the, the third point is make sure that you have these um, what we call brand edge or point of differentiation or unique sales proposition, you name it. But make sure that you, you don't lie to yourself, that you really have something different. Uh, yeah. That's super important for any brand, but for smaller brands that want to, to drive attention, consideration, trial, adoption, you need to have something that makes you really different and better versus others. Yeah, I think similarly, I'd echo that, that consumer-centric advice, Jacob. Like, uh, it, it's one of those things where if you can just focus on knowing exactly who you serve, that's another big common problem I see with some of our SMB clients is uh, I ask them who their consumer base is and they're like, well, anyone that wants to buy our products. And I'm like, that's the first problem. Let's, let's really nail in. You should know what music they like. You should know what movies they like. You should know what they wear. You should know all these different things, regardless of if you sell in those categories, because you need to have that, that level of awareness to actually connect with them, kind of build up that, as Seth Godin says, like build up that, 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 that cult-like tribe that can get behind the brand rather than just trying to reach everyone because you're not going to win when competing with the larger players in that space. Yeah, and connected to that, Jake, is, is something, you know, back to the conversation about portfolio, how we segment. You know, one way of segment, there's multiple ways of segmenting the market, of course. You could segment by yeah. consumer demographics, by consumer psychographics, by customers. You could segment by occasions. That's something what we do a lot because sometimes we say, okay, what do consumers want? Then my question is, in which occasion? You know, what, what do you want to drink? Because we human beings, you and me, we don't drink one thing. We have a portfolio of drinks, right? It's not the same what we drink on a Friday um, evening than on a Monday morning. It's certainly not the same. So sometimes those opportunities also exist by segmenting for a certain group of people, specific occasions and motivations. And that's something that if I have a small brand, I would be thinking not only who, but when and why as a way of segmenting my, my value proposition. Yeah, certainly. Now, the final question I have for you today, uh, I, don't, I know we don't have a crystal ball, but there's certainly some things uh, that are evolving in the market and in the future that we can kind of look towards. I'd love to get your insight in terms of like, what are changes you see among the horizon, whether that's relevant to the Coca-Cola brand, whether that's just on consumer behavior. I'd love to get your thoughts so you know, ourselves and our audience can, can really prep to understand that. Uh, and then kind of prepare ourselves accordingly. So, I, you know, yeah, I guess I'm asking you to predict something that, that isn't here today. But, uh, yeah, any insight around there? Yeah, no, and, and as you can imagine, we are investing a lot of energy, time, and resources to try to, to map those scenarios. And one of the things that we need to understand is this crisis we're going through is really an, an, a crisis without precedent, at least not in the last 500 years, right? This is the, a pandemic that is really global, it's really global. It's going to take time to be solved. And the nature of the crisis makes that some, uh, you need to, 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 to make some trade-off decisions, you know, between social economy and health, those, those three things. So it's not easy to solve. Um, having said that, what we have been saying and, and looking is um, there are phases of the crisis. You know, it was the initial, let's say the initial shock 
when we, and maybe there was even for the Western markets, there was some denial. I mean, we saw this happening in Asia and for some reasons we were like, yeah, this is happening in Asia. Probably this is going to be like the previous SARS uh, epidemics and it's not going to hit really globally. But then one day we said, oh my God, this is coming. This is coming everywhere. And that was the shock moment. Uh, and that's when, you know, lockdowns being enforced. We are now in what we call this, this new abnormal. It's not the new normal. It's the new abnormal. Because really, it's, it's not normal. We are still working from home, many of us. Um, some places opening and closing again. In, in many countries, you know, retail opening and then having to close again because of the peaks. Uh, there is a lot of people that is saying, you know what, I don't want to, or I cannot anymore be at home because I need to go and produce and, and, and have income. So uh, difficult to say what's going to happen next, which is the, the true new normal once we have a vaccine widely available. But so, some things that we are seeing is th there are things that are being accelerated. It's not new. It was already a trend, but we see an acceleration of that. And I can take you, for, for, for example, um, uh, faster adoption of technology. You know, I have my parents doing e-commerce. <laughs> you know, before the crisis, they were like, no, I don't need that. You know, I prefer to go and do the shopping. And now, it's okay, no, and this works. So we can anticipate that some of those users that went into online retail and, and e-commerce, they're going to stay there after the crisis is over. They're going to say, oh, I proved this work. I don't need to go and do all the shopping again. I can do that. Um, there is more tr trust on the virtual economy. You know, in the past, there was this thing, oh, I don't want to put my, my credit card number on this. There's more and more trust. Okay, it works. Um, we see a lot of more um, search for functional uh, promises in products and beverages. So things that were already there and accelerated. There is, there is some um, counter trends. Things that are, are going back, for example, this discussion about data privacy and safety. Right before yeah. the crisis, it was all about, no, I don't want to share my data. But we see now more people saying, okay, if sharing my data is going to allow for the me and society to be safer, maybe it's a trade-off that you want to be wanting to do. On the negative side, we also see some governments, especially the less, less democratic governments, trying to use this as a way to put additional control. And, and that's, that's risky. And then new things that we see happening, and I think this is one that is going to be enduring, is this re redefinition of trust and trust as part of the value proposition. And let me give you one example. I, you know, I, after probably eight weeks into the crisis, I decided I had to go out and do a haircut. And then, you know, it's, I, I need it. Not, you know, I, I, I'm going to go. So I went to a new place. Because the place I used to be, uh, I used to go was closed. So I went to the new place and all my concern was, is everyone here using a mask? That was the decision driver for me, safety. And I was not that much concerned about the quality of the person that was going to cut my hair. Because suddenly trust and safety became a value. And I think that's one that even with the vaccine, is going to be there for a while. Because imagine, Jake, even, let's say the, the vaccine is available. How do you know if the person you interact with did actually take the vaccine? Are you going to ask a proof of vaccination? So, it's, yeah. it's, you know, we can see that this trust and safety is going to be something that's going to be with us for the years to come. Yeah, certainly. I think that's incredible insight. And in COVID this year has obviously changed 
quite a few things. And it's always interesting to see that whether it is just accelerating certain models that were kind of already around or if it's bringing on new ones such as like safety and trust. So I think that's incredible insight. Javier, it was truly an honor to have you on today's podcast for all of our listeners here. Um, this is this is, you know, some of the best insight you can get is from, you know, from the top. It's hard to name another brand larger than than Coca-Cola. So I hope you all kind of enjoyed this episode. And my action item for you all today as you're listening is to uh, maybe maybe re-listen through and, and take, you know, specific notes, provide action items accordingly, because if you can apply a lot of this information in your education, learnings and your day to day right now, that's going to you know incredibly uh, improve your performance as a marketer and ultimately your career potential, which I think we're all uh, maybe maybe some of us listening, you know, we're we're trying to go after that that potential CMO of a Fortune 500 brand role. Maybe for others, it's starting our own business. But regardless, you can apply a lot of these thoughts in a plethora of areas. Uh, so Javier, again, it was incredible having you on today. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Jake. Have a good week. Awesome.